I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams Going boom, boom, boom to my own song Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning? Or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. There's a great big world that I want to see And a whole lot of things that I want to be All I gotta do is count one, two, three To my own drum Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me Cause I'm doing my thing and I hold the key To all my wants Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have Samra Zafar, who is an award-winning speaker, author, social entrepreneur, and uh, she uh, has got so many messages. But one of the aspects that makes her someone I can't wait to talk to on this this uh, podcast is that you are a woman who is out there making a difference in your family, in your career, and for others. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really thrilled to be here. So can you tell us who people would describe you as today? What you're involved in today and, and maybe just a touch of who you are. Okay, great. Um, I would really describe myself as a social justice warrior. <laughs> That's what I am. And, you know, it's it, it runs through in me so deep, uh, this aspect of giving back, paying forward, making a difference. I'm very, very impact driven. So uh, my success doesn't come from, or at least to me, doesn't come from the amount of money I make or uh, the fame or anything. It's about how many lives I can touch. And every, every little award or success or platform that I get, it's just an, an opportunity for me to touch more people, to impact more people, to be at a, uh, to be advocating at a higher level, to make an even bigger impact or a difference. And that all started with my own journey of uh, going through considerable adversity as a child bride and domestic abuse survivor, and eventually getting more academic success than I ever could have imagined after I fought my way through university and going to university as a single mom. And I just felt like I needed to do more with it. I couldn't just take my awards and accomplishments and fancy new job and ride off into the sunset. I just felt this deep hunger, passion, anger, fury, rage, uh, desire. Like I, I, you know, there was just so much in me that was just waiting to erupt. And I like, I need to make a difference. I need to do something. And uh, it started off with sharing my story in a blog, in other little platforms around the community, and just from there evolved uh, over the last seven years uh, and has grown into worldwide advocacy and a writing career and, uh, and a book and a second book coming up. So it's, 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 all, it's all part of the journey, but in, even though it's been so long and um, some people say I've achieved a lot, but it's not really about those achievements. It's about the difference that I can make and I've just not even scratched the surface yet. So I keep feeling like I'm just getting started. Well, did you always have a drive within yourself to impact others um, or influence others? Yeah. So it did that always in me, the altruistic uh, kind of an, a drive. Uh, even as a kid, I remember a teacher or a doctor or a, uh, or somebody or a professor or somebody who really um, touches people's lives and empowers people in a tangible way. Yeah. So one of the um, comments that I've come across in, in looking into your story is um, dealing with fear. 
And, and it seemed like that even as a child, um, if you had fears, you were facing those fears. Is that something that you can, can trace back to a memory of maybe the first time that you just met something straight on? Whoa. Yeah. I, so my very first memory of being afraid is when I was four years old and I got stuck in an elevator and it was by a bunch of bullies. Actually, it, uh, I, I was, I lived in Abu Dhabi with my parents obviously, and, uh, my father would sometimes give me some money, like a few coins and send me down to the convenience store at the bottom, at the, at the ground floor of the building. So uh, it was one of those elevators where you actually physically have to open the door. It's, it's not, you know, the automatic one that just opens. It's, it's like an actual very heavy steel door. And as, as a four-year-old, uh, there's no way that I could open it. I could barely even reach it. Uh, but my father was always like instilling that independent streak in me that my mom was like, she's only four. Why are you sending her down by herself? He's like, you know, yeah, she can go. She can do this. So yeah, I think it was four or five. So anyway, my father sent me down and I went down. So I would take these, I would take the stairs and it, uh, we lived on the second floor. So it was just two flights of stairs. And the, the, re, the way I would recognize my home when I would come back up would always be that my home is on the right and it has a big red garbage bin outside of it. So that's how I recognize my home. Uh, and so I went down with my coins and I, and I got my chips or whatever my dad asked for. And then I was coming back up. I was trying to go up the stairs when two girls uh, started giggling and saying to me, hey, why don't you come in the elevator with us? We'll drop you off to the second floor. And I said, no, no, it's okay. I'll take the stairs. Uh, I'm not allowed to go to the, in the elevator by myself. No, no, you're not by yourself. We'll, we'll take you. And as soon as I, and they didn't get inside, they just like started laughing about it. So they basically were bullies. <laughs> yeah. And then the elevator started to go up and down. Uh, I pressed two, it got to two, but I couldn't open the door no matter how hard I tried. I panicked, I cried. I was really, really afraid. And finally somebody stepped in and it was uh, a friend of my dad's and he uh, he took me to the second floor and I distinctly remember that when I got out of the elevator I looked to my right and there was no red bin because the elevator was on the opposite side of the stairs so now my home was on the left and I kept insisting that's not my home and, and this, uh, this person, uh, he said, no, I know your dad, this is your home. And, and then my dad came out and I remember feeling very afraid and confused and, and everything. And that was my first memory of feeling fear, I would say. And I, I guess it, it, it maybe sparked something in me because after that I started, uh, it, maybe it was after that or maybe it was just in me. But I, I, I just always had this streak of standing up for myself. Even in school, I would always be an envelope pusher, somewhat of a rebel. Like I started a girls cricket team when I wasn't allowed to go play cricket outside. I started to, uh, you know, be, be really vocal about things that and questioning things all the time. Like, why is it this way? Why, if I'm a girl, why can't I, you know, dress this way or that way? And, um, and just always, always questioning, always, calling people out. And, um, and I think the first, the first memory, at least that I have of facing that physical kind of fear uh, was when we went to an amusement park, I think I was like seven or eight, maybe at that time. And I was a, always a very tall girl. So we went to this amusement park, and there was this big, bad roller coaster, which to be honest, compared to today's roller coaster would be like a merry-go-round. <laughs> but at that time, I know it was pretty scary. And uh, because I was tall, I was above the height requirements. I was able to go and I was petrified. Uh, and that's, I remember my father saying to me that uh, if you're, a, if you're, if you never face your fears, you'll never conquer them or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but I went on that roller coaster and I was shaking, shivering. I was so afraid, but after I did it, I just was just so like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to go, I want to go again. I want to do it again. And I did it like five more times. So um, I think 
you know, that facing your fear kind of thing has always been in me somewhat. And, uh, and I do that now too. Like I'm terrified of heights, but I went skydiving. I cannot swim, but I went scuba diving a couple of years ago. Uh, and this was all like, yes, I'm terrified. I'm scared, but I'm not going to let that fear hold me back. I'm going to do it anyway. And that's why, that's how I describe courage as well. Like even in every aspect of your life, like when I left my marriage, I was, I was terrified because I was a, uh, I was young. I didn't even have a high school uh, at that time. I mean, I didn't, I was in second year of university. I'd finished my high school, but I had two young kids, no family uh, around, no uh, support system. But I was like, no, I just, I, I'm going to take that chance. I'll never know if I don't try. I'll find, I'll never find out. So I always describe as courage, not being the absence of fear. Rather, it is about, yes, I'm afraid, look that fear in the eye and do it anyway. Well, and that's part of your fabric, but it seems like maybe your dad um, deliberately taught some of those lessons to you. And of course, you don't have any idea when your parents are teaching these lessons, how you'll be able to dip back into your past and use that. But it seems like maybe that's part of what you were able to use all of those little lessons along the way. Um, so yeah, do you do the same for, for your kids today and, and, and how do you do it? I mean, sometimes putting in fearful situations, I mean, you, you could definitely stop some of the situations, but then the lessons are lost too. Is that a little bit scary? I mean, you've seen some really tough, situations come your way and as parents a lot of times you want to hover and protect and kind of stop so how do you not do that absolutely i i cannot agree more in fact touching upon my dad a little bit yes my dad definitely when i was growing up he he did teach me the skills of facing my fear of empowering myself and always used to um, empower me in my dreams. My dad wasn't perfect and there are a lot of issues I have with him. He's no more, He's, he died five, 15 years ago, but um, he was an abuser to my mom and uh, there were a lot of issues there, but, uh, but you know, he did, he did empower those things in me and instill those things in me. Um, coming back to me as a parent, absolutely. I was one of those parents who wanted to solve all my children's problems. I wanted to make sure they never faced hardship. In fact, when I came out of my marriage and because of everything that I've been, I'd been through as, uh, in my own marriage and the abuse and the oppression and everything, I wanted to clear the path for my daughters. I was like, I not like the, I was that helicopter parent who always hovered, who always was like, Oh, you have this problem. Okay. Let me solve it. Oh, you're, you're facing that issue. Okay. Let me take care of it. You know? And, I never let, I never wanted to see them fall. I never wanted to see them fail. I thought if they fail, that's, that's my failure as a mom. And it came from a place of like, you know, I faced so many hardships. I fought so hard to give diversity and a life without problems came to a head for me when I, uh, uh, this was like four years ago. My older daughter was 15. It had already been six years since I'd left my marriage because when I left my marriage, my girls were nine and four. And my daughter was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder because of the abuse that she witnessed when she was a kid, when I was married. And she was self-harming. She was suicidal. She was facing a lot of mental health challenges. And I just did not know how to solve that problem. I was like, what have I done? I'm a failure as a mother. I should have left earlier or I shouldn't have left or I should have protected her more. And it, I was just carrying so much guilt, so much shame. And, you know, it, it was like, if there's a monster outside, you can go and fight that monster and protect your child. But when the monster lives inside their head, you just, feel so helpless. And that's how I felt. I felt absolutely helpless as a mother. And that was a time when I started to learn about how to support her. I started to learn that what she needed from me was not the ability to solve her problems and to take care of the monster, but rather be there with her and hold her hand as she fights the monster herself. And it 
you know, I was, I was in the beginning when, I, when she was going through those issues, I used to say things like, well, what have you got to worry about, worry about? There are kids in the world who are dying of hunger. I got married when I was your age, you know, and, and she would, she one day said to me, mom, just because you had different problems and other people have different problems does not mean that my problems aren't valid, does not mean that my pain isn't valid. And that was a big aha moment for me. It was a big wake up call. And after that, I threw myself into therapy. We went through a lot of joint therapy. We read books together. We, uh, I read a lot about child psychology, childhood trauma and everything. And I realized that there is no way in life that I can solve all their problems. I have to let them fall. I have to let them fail. And I have to teach them how to get back up. And all I can do is just be there as a safety net when they fall. Falling is inevitable. Failing is inevitable. And I also did a lot of soul searching and I realized the person who I am today is because of that getting back up after falling in my life several times. And, you know, that is, that is what I want to teach my children, but I cannot teach them that just by talking to them. I have to let them experience it. I have to let them get back up and, and be in the driver's seat of their own lives. And it was a full 180 for me in terms of parenting. And uh, I went from that mom who was always trying to solve their problems and just, you know, motivate them to get back up, get over it, that, that sort of a mother, to um, just knowing that my place and my role is to be of a support system. And there was one particular time when it really came to light for me was when my daughter and I, we were in a group therapy session. And this is like a, a session, it was a weekly therapy, group therapy, where there were other children and their parents and uh, other youth and their parents too, and, and my daughter and I. Uh, so we were like about, I guess, 10, 10 of us or something. And she was clearly in a lot of distress. And um, I remember feeling that, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. What is she doing? She needs to get back up, go inside. What if someone sees us? This is ridiculous, etc. But I stopped myself right there. And I was like, what does she need from me right now? She doesn't need me to tell her this is embarrassing and what she's doing is silly and stupid or whatever. She needs me to be there with her in that moment. So I went up to her and I sat with her in the middle of the street. And she looks at me and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just want to sit here with you. Can I please sit here and hold your hand? She's like, you're going to sit here with me in the middle of the street with, with your corporate dress and your skirt and four inch heels. I said, yes, I will, because I love you. And I just don't want to leave you alone. I just, I just want to sit here and hold your hand. There's no rush. We don't have to go back inside. Uh, we just, we'll just sit here. And she said, okay, all right. So I sat with her. I held her hand. It took five minutes and she just broke out sobbing in my arms, wiped her tears, got up and said, okay, mom, let's go back inside. And we went back inside and we finished the session with our hands held under the table. And that was, probably the most beautiful moment of our relationship as a mother and daughter in a very pivotal moment. You know, if I had started yelling at her, why are you doing this, etc., she may not have gotten back up. That's what really turned it around. She was in the driver's seat. She had the choice. And what I learned through this experience of these few years is that if we keep solving the problems for our children, we are sending them a very unhealthy message that they're not capable of solving their own problems. We, this is actually a disservice to them. And what I also learned that empathy and love is not about solving problems. It's about holding space. It's about making them feel safe, whether it's a friend, whether it's kids, whether it's another loved one, it's about making them feel safe to feel how they feel. It's about making them feel that emotional safety and that is what empathy is. That is what being there for someone is. And I've translated that into so many other relationships in my life. And most, uh, first and foremost, with my own self, that if I'm feeling a certain way, you know, how we, how we, our self dialogue is, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, why is this still affecting me? Get back up. Like, why am I sad today? Why am I, you know, there are people in this world who have it far worse than I do. And, you know, I, even I had it far worse before. So how dare I feel sad now? You know, we do that to ourselves. We're so hard on ourselves. We invalidate ourselves and our emotions constantly. 
And that dialogue is so important. You know, I, I now I've started to hold space for myself and be empathetic, empathetic and kind to my own self. So if I'm having a bad day, I, okay, yeah, I'm having a bad day. I just want to give myself a hug, eat my comfort food, lie in bed <laughs> if I want, have to all day. And, and that helps me bounce back um, yeah. and feel better a lot sooner than beating myself up for it. Well, and this is on a very personal relationship. This is right there in the intimate relationship with your, your children, with your child. But this translates to the workplace too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're working in a group and there have been so many discussions. And I don't know if you've gotten any of, into any of this of where people are identifying their personalities and how you have to work with this person or, or you have this reaction because, and, um, but how do you see it in the workplace and with the people that you speak with in groups and, and that same kind of permission to be who you are at the moment? I think workplaces are slowly shifting. Uh, I've had uh, a banking career for seven years and I can certainly tell you that there, there's still a long way to go. Like people are, often hiding behind their business cards and their job titles. They think that leadership is about hierarchy. And I always say leadership is not about hierarchy. It's about how much of a difference you make, the legacy you leave behind, and the dialogue you spark for change. You can be a leader even if you're in an entry-level role, uh, just by being vocal and having people listen to you and and touch people in, in an impactful way. So... Uh, workplaces are slowly shifting and i think the focus on mental health is is key for for that while feeling that yes we are you know um mental health wise um if we don't allow our employees and our workforce to bring their whole selves to work that's creating a lot of issues and the one of the big factors of any kind of mental illness, anxiety, or even or worse, is the disconnection with yourself, disconnection with others. And if you are disconnected with yourself, you're not really connected with others either. So a lot of people try to fit in into certain molds of acceptance. You know, that's what we all want as human beings. We want to be accepted. You know, we want to be loved. We want to be cared for. We're social creatures. So we think that we need to change ourselves in order to be accepted, loved, and Uh, embraced. Whereas we all at the core want to be accepted, loved and embraced for who we are. So when we can, when we can bridge that gap between being accepted and loved for who we are versus being accepted and loved for fitting in, I think that's, that's the gap that we need to close and we need to eliminate. Because when we can go to our work, when we can go into our home and in our family, and when we can go and hang out with our friends and not hide behind some kind of invisible mask and modulate ourselves and morph ourselves into fitting in with whoever we're hanging out with um, and just be accepted for who we are, I think that's just going to be uh, a magical world, you know? And that's what I try to do with my children. And I and certainly have learned that in my own life. Uh, so... Um, you know, I, I used to actually, when I was in my corporate life and I started my corporate career, I would hide uh, my story. And even though I was public about it in, in small ways at that time, but I would still hide because I thought bank, people at the bank will not understand or will probably judge me. Like, why is she sharing your personal story? I'll pretend to be like them. I would pretend to just, you know, fit in again. Um, that's what I did in the community as well. I would, you know, just fit, try to morph into whoever people wanted me to be. And I, I was in constant pain. I was in constant emotional pain. And when I let go of that idea and I was like, this is who I am. And if, if I'm not getting what I need to be accepted and loved for who I am, then I'm not asking for the wrong things. I'm asking the wrong people. I just need to change my people. And whether that's it's hard to place, do, whether it's my friends. It's very hard to do. Yes, it is. It is absolutely very painful, especially when it comes to people that you care about. Um, and, and my mom is one of them. You know, I had to establish a lot of boundaries with my mother because she is very traditional, 
She was very judgmental of my choices that I made in life. And I'm proud of my choices. My choices are what led me to where I am today. Otherwise, I would still be stuck in that marriage being abused. And my children would probably, my older daughter would have been married with two kids by now. You know, I, I just, I thought to myself, like, every time I talked to her, I just felt, ended up feeling bad about myself. And I was always trying to convince her to love me for who I am, but it just never happened. And I realized that I'm just, you know, I, I'm trying to be who she wants me to be because I'm so desperate to get that love. And I stopped doing that. And yes, it, it was painful because uh, it, you know, we disconnected from each other. She was really, um, there were times of a lot of arguments. There was time, that, you know, that things got adversarial. But today after, uh, you know, I, I didn't even talk to her. In fact, there was no contact for over a year. And then we started talking again. And I was, I was able to say to her, you know what, mom, if you're going to judge me and if you're going to say these kinds of things to me, then I'd rather not talk to you. I want to have a relationship with you, but these are my boundaries. And I forced them. Uh, I mean, forced her to respect them. I put that as a condition. I'm not going to have a relationship with you if it comes at the cost of my relationship with myself. And today, we're not as quote-unquote close as we were supposedly before, but we're closer to, at least I'm closer to myself. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking to her about everything in my life, but I talk to her once a week. I ask her how she's doing. I support her whenever I can financially. And she, um, she respects me, at least, you know, the, at least to my face, she respects me. Right. I don't know what she, she said about she... me behind my back, but yeah, but I, I've but demanded okay. that. And yeah. yeah. I've demanded that. I don't feel that my boundaries are being violated. And if I ever do, then I'll call her out on it. Uh, and I'm just much happier and much more peaceful within myself instead of constantly, you know, talking to her about every single thing and then sitting there crying about it for an hour yeah. later. So do you think oh, that in the, said, the, the, the people that you come in contact with, do you think that, um, that in general, we have trouble setting boundaries because it, we have to set the boundaries and then we have to back up the boundaries. So that's oh, kind of a, a tough, um, it, it's, it's not just a make your decision and then be done with it. it. It's a constant work, is it not? Yes, absolutely. Uh, same goes for boundaries, same goes for forgiveness, same goes for letting go. It is, it is not static. It's, these are not things that you just do once and that's it. It requires constant enforcement, reevaluation, tweaking, and uh, you constantly like. I'm very deliberate about the people that I allow in my life, and you know, I, I think of it as a as a circle model. You know, like here I am in the middle, and there are there are many circles around me, like kind of like a ripple effect of circles. You know, like you have a closer circle, and then you have a little bit of a wider circle, and then wider and wider, and and I'm constantly evaluating who's in my closest circle. And those are my children. And, um, and one, uh, and a couple of really, really, really close friends that I can trust with anything. And then the, the circle that's a little bit outside of it are people that are, you know, still close friends, but not people that I would talk to anything about, you know, and then, and then you go forward and, and then your widest circle is obviously, you know, your acquaintances, work, work people, like you just hang out with once in a while. And then after that is like, um, because I'm a public figure for me, it's also like the people who follow me and, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not going to divulge every, every one of my life moments and secrets with them, but uh, uh, you know, and, and the thing is that people could move in and out of different circles. There was a friend of mine who was probably in my innermost circle, and now she's like not, not even in my circles. You know, there were, there are, there have been people who I have let in my inner circle, and I realized hmm, maybe they don't belong here. One of my sisters is like that too. Uh, you know, like I, I still talk to her, I'm close to her, but it's not that level of closeness that we had a year ago, and that's just because things have changed and things have evolved and we've grown apart and that's okay. You know, you've got to be very flexible. And I think the pain lies when we attach ourselves to, uh, to people and to what could have been or how it 
was once upon a day and how could it get worse? Like, same goes with our children. You know, people feel like when kids grow up and, oh my gosh, my kid was, you know, she used to be with me all the time and now she's grown up and she's gone to university and I feel all alone. Uh, well, then that just leaves room, more room for you to make some friends that will, that will come into your life. And there are friends that move in and out. So you've got to be very flexible and it's a constant revaluation. It's a constant, you know, tweaking of what your life looks like. Um, secondly, with boundaries as well, it's like, uh, sometimes go back to the example with my mom that I didn't talk to her for a year and a half because at that point I did need to heal from my own childhood trauma and she was not helping you know and I needed to really just focus on myself and when I felt I was in a better place I started initiating contact with her again you know so done there was no contact um, so it, I went from having absolutely zero boundaries with her uh, maybe six seven years ago to having such a firm boundary that there was no contact for a couple of years. And now to have, you know, moderate boundaries where, okay, I'll have contact with you. I have a relationship with you, but these things are off the table, you know, and, and that, that could change tomorrow, right? Uh, depending on how the situation is. And same goes for forgiveness. You know, people think, oh, you get, you forgive and you let go. No, that's not what happens. You don't just forgive and that's it. You, forgiveness is a constant practice. It's a constant evaluation. And sometimes you're just not ready to forgive the same person that you may have forgiven the, the, the day before or even the moment before. You know, uh, I, have, I struggled to forgive my parents for pushing me into a marriage when I was 16 years old. I struggled to forgive my ex-husband for abusing me. I struggled to forgive my father for abusing my mom. I struggled to fig, you know, uh, forgive... Uh, other people like my ex-husband's parents or other people who who treated me badly and and been uh, really um, uh, you know just not healthy people in my life and it that's okay you know there are some days when I'm like yeah I forgive them it does you know they don't they don't factor into my life anymore I'm indifferent and there are some days when I wake up with pain and anxiety and I'm like how could they do that to me and that's okay. We're human beings. You know, our emotions and our feelings are valid. And uh, the only thing is what we need to learn and uh, what we really need to be mindful of is that when we are feeling that way, when we are feeling that anger come up or the hurt come up or the pain, how are we coping with it? How are we dealing with it? Think to forgive my mom and I'm really angry with her one day doesn't mean I can call her and curse her out, you know. Uh, I need to be okay. This is how I'm feeling. Acknowledge it. And then I can journal or I can talk to a friend or I can, you know, uh, talk to my therapist or I can just, you know, just stay in bed and eat, eat my comfort food or something. Right. Uh, and, and that is, is where our power lies. So we don't have control over our feelings. We often don't have control over what happens to us. And right now this pandemic is, uh, is the biggest proof of that. You know, we, we, none of us could have predicted or controlled this. But what we do have control is our actions and how we cope with those things. And that's where our power lies. And does this kind of center on, I know that you are an advocate of mental health. And so this plays right into that. This is um, where you are more, um, you, you referred to the toolbox. So making sure that you have in your toolbox what you need to handle those mental health days. So mental health, I mean, that, that is one of the platforms that you, you talk a good bit about. And some of that comes from your own pain and working through the issues. But what I hear you saying which can be terrifying to somebody is it's not a one and done. It's, it can resurface. It can be in its proper place and then it can bubble back up. Talk about that a little bit if you can. Oh, absolutely. And right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, right now is, is something now in my life, somebody abused during my marriage and during this pandemic right now, as we're locked down and you know, we're isolated in our homes. The other day I was just doing my hair. Right? and um, drying my hair and, and trying to style it and, you know, make it look somewhat presentable. And um, I had this really, really vivid memory come up, like a flashback almost, that one time when we were in the mall, my ex-husband and I, and some of my hair escaped from my hijab, which he forced me to wear all the time. He got so angry that when we came back home, he hit me really hard. And this, this is something that happened 20 years ago. And it just 
hit me like a punch in the face. Like I, that memory, I mean, it just came up so vividly and so powerfully that I just couldn't even finish doing my hair. I felt that big kick of anxiety. This was something that happened years ago. Like what's going on, right? And then I, uh, a few days later, I, I talked to my therapist about it, my psychologist, and I said, Mark, what, what's going on? And he said, Samra, when was the last time that you were isolated? You were told that you cannot go out of the house. Oh, you cannot wow. meet your friends. And I said, it was during my marriage. It was during my marriage. And he's like, yes. So your body, your mind has trauma memory. Even though I know that these are completely different situations. Like, you know, this, that was me in my marriage being forced into isolation and abuse and oppress, uh, oppression by my ex-husband and his family. And this is me living in my beautiful condo in downtown Toronto and, you know, self-isolating because of a pandemic. But the feelings arising, the memories arising are very similar. And that was just fascinating to me. So it happens, you know, things will come up at random times and sometimes it's in the least expected of ways another one that happened to me was i was uh, craving pasta and i have this very favorite pasta at a, at a high-end restaurant here in toronto that so i ordered it from uber eats and then i started hearing my mother-in-law's guilty every time i would do something for myself and i started feeling guilty for ordering my pasta from my money <laughs> you know, in my home, and I couldn't even eat it properly and enjoy it properly. And like, what is going on? Like, this is, you know, uh, but the, the thing she would say, oh, you know, you have all these hobbies, and you're just wasting money, and you're feeling selfish. And she always used to, like, you know, think, say that I'm selfish anytime uh, I would take care of myself in any way or indulge myself in any way, cursing my mother-in-law or something else. I'm just going to understand where this is coming from. I'm going to be kind to myself and mindful of it, that yes, this is what's happening. These are the feelings that are arising. Uh, it doesn't have to translate into any kind of drastic action. It just needs me to be kind and empathetic to myself. And yes, it is scary. It can be painful. But to be honest, uh, once you know how to deal with it and you learn how to manage it and the healthy coping mechanisms, uh, I'm a firm believer, no matter what you go through in life, it doesn't have to define who you are and it doesn't have to define what your life looks like. You, yes, because one bad thing or a few bad things happened to me doesn't mean that my entire life is gone and I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. I love my life. There is so much life after trauma. There is so much health and so many amazing relationships and love and friendships that uh, once you take responsibility of your healing and you learn how to manage those emotions and you learn how to live your life in a healthy way, like you, there's, there's, you know, there's no stopping you and you can absolutely have as fulfilling and loving of a life even more so in fact uh, than, than you would if, you know, if none of that happened. And we all go through adversity in life. Or that's, that's life. You know, life is hard. No matter where we are, no matter who we are, we're always going to face some, some level of pain. There will be people that will hurt us. There will be trauma. There will be adversity. And we cannot avoid that. We learn how, we must learn how to deal with our pain so we don't inflict it on other people and you must learn how to work through our pain and work through our hurt and work through our adversity so we can have a fulfilling, healthy, loving life. And that's absolutely possible and doable. Now, you, you had a lot happen um, as a child. I mean, you were, you were basically a pretty happy, go-lucky child. I mean, there, there was some domestic issues between your, your parents that you saw as a child, but but you you've had a lot going but at the same time you you went into the the arranged marriage and then life just completely went that direction and and derailed a little bit for you but one of my questions is you could have left the marriage and forgot all that and not shared any of that not told your story not become an author but you have you dove into that to share, which gives insight to people that have no idea what arranged marriage or anything like that. I mean, that's just a completely foreign concept to somebody like me. So how did you decide to, to use 
both aspects of your life, the horrific pain and agonies that you went through, the spark of going into your education and really fulfilling the dreams that you had when you were 14 to today and really using all of it together. Yeah. So that is, um, that is something that was a very conscious and deliberate decision on my part. And when I left my marriage, I was, um, I was 29, 28. I was in my second year of undergrad. I had two young kids, nine and four. And I just wanted to get a degree. I just wanted to get a decent job, put food on the table for my children and build somewhat of a life of respect. That's it. That was my, that was my baseline. That was my goal. When I went to university and it was a hard time, it was working five jobs, raising my kids single-handedly, going through full-time school, uh, facing all the cultural backlash that I faced and eventually graduated as a top student and won several awards and scholarships and got quite a bit of recognition and a bit of a platform, you know, and I used to get interviewed by small community media here in Toronto and they would ask me like, uh, you know, but wow, you're the first mature student to win this big scholarship. What are you going to do with it, et cetera, et cetera. And I would always like, yeah, my life is wonderful and I'm going to do this. And I, and I felt like there was, if I told people about my personal journey, it would be somewhat shameful because that's what I was, I believed all my life. And I grew up in a culture where women who speak up are shameless women. You know, women are supposed to stay quiet. Women are supposed to stay silent. And uh, I was named the top student um, in uh, in my class in in the entire university. To be uh, frankly, and um, a friend of mine, her mom wrote for uh, a, a blog. Like she 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 wrote this blog for Express Tribune, which is a an online Pakistani followed uh, newspaper, which a lot of people read. And she asked me and said, Samra, I would like to share your story." Just imagine how many women you can help and how many people will resonate with it. So my daughter was there with me and she was at that time 12 years old. And she said, mom, if every woman thinks it's shameful and traumatic, how will this change? And I realized that if it's not about me anymore, this, is, this, is, this isn't just my story. This is the story of millions and millions of women and girls around the world who continue to suffer in silence. There are 12 million girls every single year who are forced into child marriages around the world. There are 700 million women alive today who were married off as kids, I'm one of them. There are millions of women who are, who are affected by domestic partner abuse or any other forms of violence and abuse and oppression uh, around the world. You know, one in three women here in North America are affected by domestic partner violence. Uh, one in two of us face some kind of physical or sexual harassment at some point in our lives. Stay silent anymore. I need to grow in a better world. And of course, I can't solve everything, but maybe I can touch one life. Maybe I can touch a few lives. Maybe I can do something. And I, and I called, uh, called, up, uh, uh, called up this woman and I said, okay, I'll, I'll share my story. And I did, and it actually got published. It went online on my convocation day. So in the morning, I go and got my degree, which was already a very emotional moment for me. And I came home and I logged into my social media and it was flooded, flooded with thousands of messages from women all over the world, you know, who are congratulating me, thanking me for breaking the silence, men writing to me how that, how my story inspired them to be better and be better allies and fathers and et cetera. And, I just knew that I'd found my calling. And I'm a big believer in that Mark Twain quote, quote that uh, there are two most important days of your life are the day that you are born and the day that you find out why. And that day I found out my why. I knew that this is it. This is, this is what I got to do. This is, uh, this is what I have to put my energies towards. And I didn't know how I just knew that I'll find a way. And, you know, for a number of years, I held a bank job and just did all the speaking on the side, never got paid a dime, never actually, uh, you know, it was just me going up on stage, sometimes even begging organizers to give me the mic for 10 minutes, because there might be somebody in the audience who needs to hear what I have to say. And then it evolved from there. And one thing led to another, I speak 
somewhere, then somebody else would invite me and I, you know, somebody would do a magazine article on me, etc. And then a very big magazine here in Toronto, it's called Toronto Life. They called me and they said, we'd love to publish your story as a full long form article. That story went viral in 2017. And that's event, that's what led to my book deal. Publishers started to approach me and say, would you like to write a book? I published my book last year with HarperCollins, and now the book is a national bestseller, and uh, it's being published internationally now as well. And it's now being turned into a film, into a TV series, and I'm now working on my second book. So the... You know, obviously, like it's, it's what I do today is a lot bigger than, than that little blog that I did. But the purpose behind it and the uh, drive behind it is one more person I can touch. Maybe there's one more life that I can impact. Maybe there's one more person I can help to believe in themselves and their power to change their life and to create the life that they want and deserve. Because all of us deserve to be loved. All of us deserve to be accepted. And uh, And that is what drives me. That's what keeps me going. And I know that if I stay true to my purpose, uh, I don't know wh- how it will happen. I just know that it will. I'll always find a way. Well, th- that's individual stories. Stories coming together can inspire, can give that one push or that bit of courage. And that seems to be, courage seems to be quite a thread through mm-hmm. your life and, and being able to find that next step. Um, what would you tell that young girl who's sitting there with their dreams? What what advice would you have toward them? You know what? I would say never, ever, ever give up. There will be times, inevitably, where you will encounter naysayers who will pull you down. There will be time where you yourself will be filled with doubt, you know, self-doubt. Uh, maybe I can't do it. You know, maybe it's just too much. The only person you need approval from, the only person you need permission from to do anything in your life is you. That's it. Once you have that, once you give yourself that permission and approval, you will find others who will follow suit. You will find others who will support you. But it starts with you. And when I made that you know, decision to pursue my education, I was still, like, I, I hadn't even finished high school when I got married. I was in grade 11. And my high school was put to a stop. I found a way because I did, I did my high school through distance learning. I would do all my wifely and mother, daughter-in-law and motherly chores during the day, and I would go into my room and study. It took me five years to finish six high school credits. And then I wanted to go to university. I even got in. But him and his family wouldn't pay my fee and I couldn't get student funding because they look at household income and his income was higher than the threshold. Then I knew I needed to make money, but I wasn't allowed to go out and get a job. I mean, I wasn't even allowed to step outside the house on my own. So I started to work as a babysitter at home. I found a way to make money from home. And most of my money was taken away from me, but I would still stash it a little bit away secretly on the side. And it took me another three years to save that first three thousand dollars that I needed to pay for my first year tuition fee in university that's when I put my foot down and I started and then when I started university I started to sometimes skip class to go to counseling and that's where I learned about my rights as a woman as a human being that I deserved better what was happening to me was abuse and it was not okay and when I left my marriage I was terrified will I find someone else will people support me I don't have any family here I don't have any friends uh, you know and how will I, I don't even know how to pay my bills. I don't even need know how to do simple things that other people seem to know because I was oppressed and sheltered for so long. It was just taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. And, uh, and to be honest, that, you know, I'm afraid of things now, different things, but I'm afraid now too. I was afraid when my daughter was going through her issues and I thought, what if she does something to herself one day and goes too far? Today, I'm afraid of like, you know, the pandemic that's happening. What if I, you know, my speaking never picks back up because all my conferences and everything that was I was doing canceled, right? We all have fears and we'll always be afraid of things going in, in our lives. Always, that's human nature. We're afraid of the unknown. But the more knowledge we have, the more power we have. So you don't need to trust the world and the things to get better. You need to trust yourself and your ability to figure things out, no matter what the circumstances are. 
And that is uh, where it lies in it. In, in resilience and strength is not about not feeling weak, not having weak moments, not even not feeling sad. It's about feeling all those things and getting it back up and doing it anyway. You know, and it's about being your own biggest cheerleader. I stand in front of the mirror and give myself pep talks all the time. I journal, I do affirmations. I, uh, I, you know, have my core group of friends who are, I know will lift me up no matter what I do and where I am. And most importantly, I get back up. You know, I'm like always in the, okay, this is the problem or this is an issue. This is a roadblock. How can I go over it, under it, around it, through it? Um, and you will find a way. Sometimes you have to think creatively out of, outside of the box, but if you're in that mindset, you absolutely will find a way. So the key is you never give up on your dreams. And no matter how dire the situation becomes, no matter what you're going through, it's never, ever too late. I started university when I was a mature student. I was a mother of two. I'd been married for 10 years, you know, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yes, of course, I, you know, I would love to get my childhood back, but, you know, that, that's, that's the cards life dealt to me. But if I had just sat there and succumbed to my fate and thought, this is it, this is my life, this is my destiny, I would still be in that marriage. I would, maybe I have been killed by now. And that's where your power lies. You cannot choose what happens to you most of the time but you can choose what you want to do with it. And the other thing I would say is always, always remember to give back. You know, we all have some sort of privilege. Sometimes our privilege is our skin color. Sometimes our privilege is the fact that we live in certain countries. Um, even being able-bodied is a privilege. You know, uh, yes, I went through a lot of adversity in my life, but I am considerably, relatively a lot, uh, you know, privileged compared to a lot of people in, in, in the world. You know, I, I know that if I, if I had been in other countries where the laws aren't as favorable for women, I, I don't know what I would have done, right? Uh, I don't know what I would have done if I had to go to university in a, uh, in a, in a country where that's not what girls do, right? Um, I don't know how I could have coped in extreme poverty. And right now I'm an ambassador for an international charity and I do a lot of volunteer work in, in rural Zimbabwe. And, you know, girls there who are living in these village huts are, walking up to 10 kilometers each way just to be able to go to school and they're walking through rural areas with no lighting and they're getting sexually harassed on the way and sexually molested and raped on the way you know and i and i met some of these girls when i was in africa a few months ago so that reminds me of my privilege so privilege we all are in some way shape or form but it's what we do with it that defines us are we going to use our privilege to feel superior than other people and put them down and choose to hate them because they're different and not support them and feel that we're somehow better. That's disgusting. We can choose to use our privilege to make their lives better. We can choose to use our privilege for the good of the world, you know, to say that, okay, we are going to choose love over hate. We're going to choose unity over differences. And we realize that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. When we choose to connect over shared experience and humanity over whatever whatever is supposed to divide us, like the color of our skin or where we were born or where we came from or what faith we practice or who we choose to love, like that's when we choose to unite over the shared stuff, the common stuff, we realize we have so much more in common, so much more that unites us. And that's what power is. Power is about empowering others. Power is about paying it forward. Power is about using your privilege to help other people rise up and if there's one thing i can say to people who are listening and young girls out there is as you trail as you blaze your own trail as you carve your own path follow your dreams and believe in them fiercely and never ever give up i'm extremely ambitious and i want to reach the top and i have big dreams and goals always also remember to pay it forward always also remember to as you're carving your own path look back hold the hand of someone else and help them along with you because as you're carving your own path, you're also making space for others to walk with you and behind you. And, and that's where our true power lies. Well, education seems to be something that you fought hard for and, and were striving to get. Um, that may not be completely important for everybody to the level and extent that you did, but education is a leveling field for um, empowerment. 
So what's your take on education in general? Oh, education is, uh, it, it is liberating. I think that's, that's the word I have for it. It's, it's freedom. Your education is something that no one else can take away from you. You know, money can go, other stuff can go, but when you, when you're educated and education is not just about university degrees, it's about being educated about life. It's about being educated in, in a, in, in a mind opening uh, kind of a way. It's about having that, uh, you know, thought process, being able to ask questions, being, being able to think critically about things in, in the world and being a change maker. That's what education is about. And I've met a lot of really educated and enlightened people who do not have university degrees. And I've met a lot of really people who have very, very big, you know, a lot of university degrees and everything. And they're just the most uneducated and unenlightened people as we could possibly need. So, and we see examples of that in the real world as well. So, you know, it is, education is not about degrees on your walls. It's about what's in your head. It's about how you think, it's about how you treat people. And when you're educated in the true sense, you're unstoppable. You are absolutely unlocking your highest potential. And that's when, that's when you create the biggest difference and you make the best impact and no one can take that away from you. So I highly, highly encourage people, even the women that I mentor who are survivors and people who reach out to me is that um, reinvent yourself, educate, yourself how to do new things like right now you know is uh we're going through a pandemic and i certainly feel a little bit lost sometimes but i'm like this is a time that i can learn new things uh doesn't mean i'm going to go to school and get a degree but i can sign up for online courses i can learn new skills like i i just signed up for a video editing course because i want to create some more videos for my social media and i want to learn how to do all that instead of hiring someone you know it shouldn't be that hard uh even for a very tech unsavvy person like myself. Um, and uh, you just, you just learn those things and you pick up things as you go along. So if you, education is a mindset, it's a mindset of lifelong learning. And very in that mindset, when you, you know, you become humble, you like, you realize there's so much more to this world that I know. There's so much I can learn from anyone I can talk to, you know, even if somebody has a very different opinion about something that you do, uh, you learn something. Uh, you you think critically about your own th uh, thought processes. So sometimes you become even more reaffirmed in your in what the way you think. And sometimes even if someone has any has a very similar opinion and they're cut from the same cloth, but they can shed some different perspective on it. You know. Yeah. So that is what education is. It's an educated mindset, and I think that's the biggest power that we have as human beings. Now, part of what you've been involved in are controversial topics, topics that people don't want to rise to the surface. Yeah, very so, taboo stuff I talk about. <laughs> yeah, you do. So how do you um, just get through that, um, ignore that? Or have there been some situations that have been threatening to you or just frightening? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have faced a lot of backlash, especially when I first started to speak out. Uh, and that blog that I first shared my story in is, is a very Pakistani culturally followed blog. So uh, the backlash that I face is often from that community because they think I'm defaming them and the religion and the community for my self-promotion and whatnot. Not all of them. Of course, I've got a lot of supporters too, but, uh, but there's certainly the trolls that, that come through and... Uh, and sometimes on social media, like even if you go on YouTube and look at some of my TED Talks, most a lot of comments are very positive, but then there are those ugly ones that as well that wear their heads. Um, and uh, and again, backlash that I face from family members, uh, from people that I used to consider friends, like my own brother-in-law one day called me and said, what's the point of you winning all these awards and scholarships if you failed at the real purpose of being a woman? Shame on you. So, um, these are these are things yeah, I hear all the time, and it used to bother me. It used to hurt me, and maybe at some level it still does sometimes, depending on the day. But um, it is, you know, uh, it, it's my choice whether I look at that and or look at the infinite times more positive stuff that I get. You know, there's just so much more positive. It's there's so much more love and support out there, 
And, um, and that little bit of negativity actually serves to fuel my fire even more. I'm like, yeah, this is why I do what I do and I need to keep it, keep going and I need to keep doing it. So I've grown a very thick skin over the years. And, um, and now I've just used, uh, started to use that as fuel to my fire. So yeah, yeah it doesn't, it bothers me. Yes. But, uh, but not in a, in a way that, oh, maybe I should stop doing what I'm doing. No. Yeah. So that leads me to ask, what are some of the projects that you're currently involved in? A uh, number of things. So first, uh, I'm working on this uh, with the screenplay writers uh, on the adaptation of my of my book uh, to a film. Uh, and then secondly, I'm starting to write my second book, which actually my daughter, my older daughter and I are co-writing about that journey through youth mental health and, and my uh, and how I supported her as a parent. So it's a mother daughter narrative, which is really powerful. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a first book of its kind because I haven't seen any other book out there like that. It's, uh, hopefully we can create some waves with that. And uh, then uh, I'm working right now during the pandemic. I'm actually hosting weekly uh, webinars and support groups for women. And I'm not sure if you've been following, but there's a lot of reports uh, that the domestic violence is on the rise during wow. the pandemic because women are isolated with their abusers. So uh, I'm just doing whatever I can to raise awareness and community knowledge and you know, to uh, do social media live sessions and videos and things like that and weekly support groups um and just you know learning new skills uh pivoting a lot of my speaking work to virtual and online because that that's the way we are going to be going for the next little while at least and uh taking care of myself and just you know spending a ton of time with my girls yeah <laughs> which, is, which is really lovely but yeah lots on the go uh, and that's how I love it. But it's all, it's all coming from a place of passion. So it doesn't feel like work. Well, that's great. Um, how can people get in touch with you? What are your social media or yeah. what, what kind of avenues can they reach out to you? Yeah. So uh, Instagram is the best way. That's where I post most content. That's where I'm most active. And I'm always posting stuff like videos and quotes and, and contests and book contests. And you can win a copy of my book and other things. Uh, on there. So um, uh, it's I am Samra Zafar. That's my handle on Instagram and Twitter. And um, if you want to get in touch with me in another way, you can always DM me on Instagram too. I'm pretty good with replying right away. And then there are, um, uh, oh, there's obviously my website, which is just www.samrazafar.com. So www.samrazafar.com, which is my name. And um, uh, a lot of videos on YouTube uh, that I'm posting these days. So you can check out my YouTube channel, which is also if you just search up Samrata for YouTube, you'll be able to find it easily. And uh, there's a lot of, so even the weekly support group sessions that I'm doing currently, uh, I am uh, recording them and putting them up on YouTube later for people to be able to watch. And um, um, And, you know, Facebook page is there too, but lots and lots of ways to get in touch with me. Uh, I would highly encourage Instagram and, uh, and also subscribe to my YouTube uh, channel to be able to watch the stuff that I do and uh, reach out to me anytime. You can actually send me an email through my website too. Great. Have one more question for you and we'll wrap this up. But if you had a superpower for 24 hours, you could use the superpower in professional, personal, whatever way you wanted. What would that superpower be and why? And how would you use it? My superpower is and always will be uh, being true to my home, myself, being me. And I think that's everybody's superpower. When you are you, you are unlocking the best you. There's no better you than you in the world. And that is the superpower we all have. Be real. Be true to yourself. Be, be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. You can be a much better you than a fake someone else. You know, and Oprah said this in one of her speeches, you know, that I can be a much better Oprah than I can be a fake Barbara, <laughs> you know. Uh, so be yourself. That's your superpower. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And um, just it, it is inspiring to hear somebody tackle some of the really big issues that we don't want to talk about, fears that we may have, and um, just to be very open and transparent. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
to the beat of my own drum. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it, from family, to philosophy, to work, to meal prep, to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you... Go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it. Ooh, there's a great big world that I want.